The Daily Rios, for Thursday, May 2nd, 2013. I've been putting off another Marvel Now report card episode, trying to get enough titles to talk about in one large chunk, uh, because I realize I have about, uh, what is it, about 15 more titles, I think? Uh, somewhere in there, 10 or 15. But with how busy this time is, what with school ending and finals and work I'm doing on a project for the fall, I figured, you know what, I better just dump out some reviews as I read them and not wait any longer, or else I'm going to push these episodes farther and farther and farther back. So this is the fourth Marvel Now report card episode, but I'm only going to talk about two Marvel Now titles. Before I do that, I want to preface this review episode a bit in light of all the hullabaloo lately in the comics blogosphere about comics journalism. Uh, Content, uh, especially in comic news sites, blacklisting, the shutting down of news sites, the Eisner's controversy, etc. That topic, that larger topic, will most likely get a, a bigger episode out of me later. But what I want listeners to understand, um, and I have to imagine that if you've listened to this show long enough, or if you heard me back on, you know, back on CGS, I have to imagine that I probably don't really have to explain this, but I will, just in case. I want listeners to understand that when I do reviews, especially when they are superhero comic-based, because really the, the larger argument always seems to stem around superhero comics and the discussion of superhero comics. When I do these reviews, I am not comparing these comics to the whole of comicdom, right? When I review, I review that comic, that particular comic. I'm not using it as a way to compare it to the 20 other comics that came out from the same publisher or another publisher or a small press or something like that. When I praise Thor or Isad Ribic or how much fun I'm having with Indestructible Hulk, that doesn't automatically mean I'm placing it up there with what I or you may consider the best comics out there today, or in all of history. (laughs) Don't get it twisted, right? Sometimes I want to say that to to certain bloggers out there. Um, I don't do the comparison thing, and if I do, you'll You'll know why, you'll have an understanding of why, or you'll see why I'm comparing certain things. But especially in these Marvel Now review episodes, I don't rate comic A because comic B sucks, okay? I don't trash comic C because it wasn't comic D. It didn't live up to comic the hype of comic D. I hate that. I hate when people do it in comics. I hate when they do it in reviews. I hate when they do it to, I hate when they do it to other podcasts. I don't know how many times I've seen some jerk-off say, Ooh, I love iFanboy because CGS sucks. You know what sucks? Your agenda sucks. It's, the, it's about the comics itself. If I give a comic an A+, that doesn't automatically mean it matches all the other comics that I've assigned an A+, to, or whatever the dumb rating is. It means that that comic itself did what it set out to do within its own parameters, with the art, with the story, with the marriage of the two, with its own goals, 
and it succeeded, and and that's all it means, right? I can play the comparison game, absolutely. If you ask me to list the best comics in all of comicdom, I can give you that list, but that's not what these reviews are. And I think in the larger discussion of comics journalism, and especially towards superhero comics, the fault that I often see in those comic bloggers who poo-poo superhero comics is that the the default nature of those of us who do talk about superhero comics is that we we always consider them the best of the medium and that's not true that's not true i i i can't imagine somebody would ever say it now could could someone who enjoys superhero comics say that they get the most enjoyment out of them. Sure, I don't. I don't see anything wrong with that. But in but enjoyment is not a qualifier. Enjoyment is not a praise or, or uh, a criticism. Um, it is just your reaction to it, right? It's a very subjective thing, you know. On the objective level, which is where I really like to talk. Um, I don't care if it's a superhero comic, if it's a mini comic, if it's an eight hundred pager if it's a manga, if it's whatever, on the objective level, I treat whatever I'm talking about only about that. I only treat that comic. I only discuss that comic uh, in a review, and I'm not trying to hold it up to other things unless I say it. If I say it, I'm going to be very clear why I'm saying it, right? So I just wanted to get that out of the, out of the way. So with that in mind, let's do this shit. For this fourth Marvel Now report card segment, I read all new X-Men 1 through 10 and Uncanny X-Men 1 through 4. That's what those titles were up to by the time of the Marvel Now 6-month anniversary on April April 10th. There have been a few more issues after that, but I didn't read that. I just stuck with what was put out for those first first 6 months. Now, uh, first up, let me talk about... Um, well, okay, so Brian Michael Bendis is put in charge of the X-Universe with, uh, with Marvel now. And it's a large cast, right? It's even larger than the Avengers universe that he fronted for the past decade or more. Uh, it was a big thing for Marvel. For Marvel, I, You know, putting their main writer onto the X-Corner and, and, and asking him to work his magic. The X-Universe has been up and down. Uh, to say it generously, uh, over the past couple years. A few more ups than, than some downs, although, um, you know, sort of like right after House of M, there was a lot of downs, and then there were some ups with Second Coming and Messiah Complex and ABX and, and, and what have you. So uh, this is a big deal. You know, Bendis, a smart writer, coming in, taking a look at the universe, seeing what worked, seeing what didn't work, uh, and putting his mark on it. And I have to say, he is succeeding. And, he, and he's succeeding for a number of reasons. First off, I think he's come up with a very smart premise that I didn't buy at first when I first heard it, but as I read it, I, I, I totally got it. And he's working with creative teams that are helping to push his comics along. <clears throat> with that in mind, I'm going to start uh, with the art. Stuart Immonen on All New X-Men, Chris Bicciolo on uh, Uncanny X-Men, both of them doing bang-up work. For Stuart Immonen on All New X-Men, the two-page spreads, digital be damned, the, the, the detail in the character work, 
keeping certain characters different from from an older version or a newer version. You know, certainly in the case of Bobby Iceman, we see two of them running around, or two angels, or two Scots. Um, the creativity behind some of those two-page spreads, or some of the some of the imagery that Bendis is pushing, that he really wants to throw in some layered stuff in here. You know, with the X Men, you can do some some thematic layering of story. You know, Avengers, you sort of have to create story around it. You know, that's why you come up with Civil War, Secret Invasion, you know, things like that. With with the X-Men, they come with their own story elements and their own story tropes and their own plotting and what have you. So in one of the issues, there's a really interesting full-page spread of Cyclops, older Cyclops, seeing the original Fab Five and He's, uh, Stuart Eminem divides the page. So you're looking, when you pull it away, you're looking at one face, but it's made up of six vertical shots of all the other faces, six or more or whatever it is. It's a brilliant page. I love all, I, it's really stretching what I think you can do with the comic book page. Um, uh, not, again, see, now I say something like that. Don't think I'm comparing it with like Cerebus or anything like that. But for what I have seen in some superhero comics, this is really trying to push the envelope a little bit. Could it go more? Absolutely. I'm just talking about that issue. Don't get it twisted. Um, so Stuart Eminem on All New X-Men, really good stuff. So much so that the secondary story or the fill-in story with artwork by David Marquez not not working so much. The the overall design and the panel sense is there, the panel layout, but it doesn't compare with Stuart Eminem. And you realize because of that just how pivotal Stuart is to the tone of the book, the detail, not only in the characters but in the background and the and the settings and in the supporting cast, which is huge as I said. You got the original X-Men, you have the Jean Grey school X-Men. You have the Jean Grey school students. You have the uncanny X-Men. You have the new mutants that they're finding. And then you have everyone else. Cops, bystanders, news reporters, etc. Awesome, awesome stuff. And the same, I have to say, goes with Uncanny and Chris Pachalo. He's not shortchanging here. Uh, his panel work, his, his page design, he's doing a lot of diagonal panel structures, which gets a little bit... You sort of have to get used to it when you first read it, but then I, I dig it. I think it's great. I, I was an avid reader of Generation X, um, which probably was my first long-form exposure to Chris Pachala artwork. And that design flair has certainly changed, but it's working in its favor in this title. It has grown. Uh, it's, it's a little less specific. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. I can follow it. I know that's a criticism of his artwork. I can follow this stuff. The costumes are strange, almost alien or robotic or video game flavored, um, especially with the design of someone like Magic. Uh, I'm not saying that any of that stuff is unique, but it's uh, you know it feels like standard Bichalo costuming. But it works. It works for this approach. I enjoy the thick lines and the the way he pulls certain characters into the foreground or background with. I don't know if that's like a zipatone kind of work, even though they don't use that anymore. Um, Cyclops has never looked more like a Cyclops. I'm really, really enjoying this. Really enjoying the artwork from both of these artists. And then you have the premise. The premise of this being post-Avengers vs. X-Men. And Cyclops has 
gone off the deep end if you if you listen to what Beast is saying and started a new mutant revolution and he has become you could say the new Magneto even though Magneto is working with him but he's not so so extreme and Beast decides to do something uh, for a number of reasons which you can read about in the book so what he decides to do is bring back the original X-Men, the original Fab Five, a young Scott, a young Iceman, a young Jean Grey, a young Angel, and a young Hank McCoy before he got all furry. Brings the original five back to our present, or the X-Men's present. And what Beast assumes is that by having the original Fab Five there they will go back and maybe change things and make things different, or they'll affect current Cyclops by giving him an example of what they used to be like and what they used to believe in, and maybe he would change his ways in the present. Now, <clears throat> that's where the fun of this book comes out. This idea that the original Fab Five are there, and they're seeing what has happened, and it's almost a meta textual message about the X-Men comics in general. When you're, when you're looking at original Hank McCoy against the new version of the Beast, you suddenly realize how many changes he has gone through. It's not just one. He went from original Hank McCoy, uh, human-looking Hank McCoy, to gray furry Beast, to blue furry Beast, you know, and then he would bounce back to a human form here and there. Then he became what most people called the cat looking or the beast uh, from Beauty and the Beast look under Morrison's run and then his version now. And you look at Angel and all he's going through. So you look at Iceman and all he has gone through. And that part of it is just really fun. And it becomes a message because you realize just how much has happened to these characters um, and, and how much has gone through their publishing history. You know, this idea that characters don't change, and yet when you put these two teams together, you realize just how much they have changed. And sure, some of it's physical, but the point here that I think Bendis is making is that the message has changed, and maybe their character has changed, their character meaning inside them. Um, and I think that's interesting. It's interesting. I really uh, like that approach. Um, I like the original five how much they are devoted to Professor X and how thrown into this world they are just really can't wrap their brains around it. You know, that one of them, one of the, their own in the future kills Professor X. It's almost unbelievable to them. Um, and then when you put the younger five in the mix of all this, this is where Bendis really shines. It This huge ensemble book with the original Fab five stuck in the middle. Bendis is able to play all sides. He's he's able to play the Jean Grey school side, which is Kitty Pride and Wolverine and Storm. He's able to play the Uncanny X-Men side, which is Cyclops and Magneto and Magic and Emma. And in the middle is the the, the original X-Men. And we're almost as readers, you know, we're almost cued into them. And and you know, do you agree with Scott? Do you agree with Young Angel? Do you agree agree with what Young Jean is doing? Um, and it's interesting, and, and it makes for some interesting ensemble characterist, uh, character interaction. If you are one of those readers who is just tired of Wolverine being in every book, guess what? He's in this book, but it doesn't feel like he takes over the book. The book is really 
an ensemble book. It truly is an ensemble book, especially all new X-Men, especially when you read it back and forth with Uncanny X-Men, which, which you should be doing if you're reading one or the other. You should read both because they complement each other. Um, they add new uh, new point of view angles of, of similar scenes. Um, the books both are interconnected. I mean, they're both written by Bendis, so you would you would think that that would be the case. The other thing that's really cool about having the original five back again, kind of like what happened when they formed X-Factor back in the late 80s, is that you realize just how powerful the original five are. Not in mutant power, but in writing power and what you can do with them. And suddenly the rest of the cast kind of revolves around them and becomes very secondary. It's this interesting trickle-down effect. I really dig it. I, I, I really dig all-new X-Men. And then Uncanny X-Men with Cyclops and his team, and this whole new revolution, uh, they're like the new Brotherhood or the new Mutant Liberation Front, and they have these new mutants that they're seeking out. Uh, this is when having multiple X-Titles really works especially when it's one writer and he can dig into the characters and he pushes them along um, either based on something that happened in the other book or in the situation that he's trying to push. And it feels justified and it feels like there's weight to it and not that he's just trying to find some new out-of-left-field part of their character. It all makes sense based on what's been going on. And how they exist now or I should say, in the now, makes sense. And he's not trying to make Nightcrawler's father be a devil, and he's not trying to make uh, someone go through this weird thing that we've never heard of before. He's dealing with the situation. He threw in this big old monkey wrench, and everybody's reacting because of it. And it's great. It throws the X-Men in turmoil. Uh, it's fun to read. Uh, and then you throw in someone like Mystique, and suddenly becomes very Shakespearean. She drops this little nugget of information into young Scott's mind, and you can tell things are going to happen because of it. Magic is a lot of fun. Kitty Pride is fun. She's in charge of the uh, old original X-Men, or the young original X-Men, I should say. It's great. I'm really digging it. In terms of grading, because this is a report card episode, I give both of these A+. pluses. Now, I, I wasn't a fan of the fill-in all-new X-Men issues, with David Marquez on the art. Not only, it wasn't because they were bad comics, but the tone had a, a really interesting shift in that those books suddenly felt, that, that three-issue story arc kind of felt like a sideline story. You almost didn't need it. It, it was a way to give Stuart Eminem a break to get back to the main story. And then when you got to the main story, yeah, some of the stuff that you just read, like Mystique talking to Scott and what Jean Grey does to Angel, that plays out, but it has more weight when, when you get back to the original creative team. And, and you realize that by doing that fill-in three-issue story arc, they're kind of giving it to, they're, they're coming up with this quick story um, that, yes, does play out in, uh, to the larger uh, idea of what the comic is about, but it really is just a three-issue story that doesn't quite have the weight that the rest of the series has. And that's where Marvel's double shipping and farming work out to other artists, that's what happens. You get the main course uh, of the story and the plot 
with the original creative team. And then when it needs to break out and give those artists a rest or that creative team a rest, it suddenly becomes secondary title work. It suddenly becomes um, kind of like a like a true. I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't. I don't know what Bendis, uh, what his script work is on this, but it feels very Marvel methody. You know, here's a basic outline, stretch it out to three issues, and then we'll get back to the main story. That's what it felt like. Not saying that's what it is. That, I'm just saying that's what it felt like. So, but still, I'm giving both titles an A+. If you like all new X-Men and you aren't reading Uncanny X-Men, you should do that. And if you're reading Uncanny X-Men and you aren't reading all new X-Men, you really should. They, they work well off each other. I'm very surprised at how well they are working off each other in this early stuff. Now, I know we have this new Battle of the Atom event coming up down the road. And um, I hear that they're bringing in a future version of the X-Men, which I don't know about that. It suddenly seems like too much overkill of trying to do the same thing. But we'll see. We'll see how it happens. Uh, I was wrong about the the premise so far, and uh, uh, you know, gladly so because I, the books are pretty good. So there you go. That is my review of all new X Men and Uncanny X Men, rambling as it was. If uh, you've read any of those, let me know what you think about it in uh, the comment section on the website, or send me an email, Peter at thedailyreels.com. I might have some more reviews for you tomorrow, or I might have something completely different. I'm not sure. So we'll just have to wait till tomorrow to discover it together. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you later. Bye.